great song. Christ is all I need. Do we truly believe that? There's a sermon series I listened to a few years ago that said uh, it was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything less Jesus equals nothing. If we just wrap our mind around that, it's a, it's a great truth that Christ is all that we need. Um, and that's exactly what he's uh, endeavouring to do with us uh, as he transforms us through his grace to show us that Christ is truly all that we need. Thanks, Graham, for sharing with us today. I really appreciate that, mate. I was a part of the Gideons for a few years, uh, and then when I became a minister, they said, no, you can no longer be a Gideon, which is all right, because it's for a layman's um, operation, so it's a really good thing they do there. And I can testify uh, that, look, they do a great work. I've been involved in a few Bible distributions. I met out one day with um, a bunch of guys at the the, uh, TAFE College here in Shepparton. It was in the middle of July. It was about 6.30 or 7 o'clock when we decided to meet there. And uh, there's a man by the name of Fred Smith from Newmerka. Fred Thomas. Fred Thomas was there with his wife. And uh, I think he was 91 and she was 90 or something like that. And they were there at 7 o'clock in the morning in the middle of July there to hand out Bibles. Um, Fred's wife sat in the car and prayed for us as we handed out the Bibles. And Fred was out the front, 90 years old, handing Bibles out uh, in the middle of July on a freezing cold morning. So uh, these guys are really dedicated and committed because they believe in the power of God's Word to transform lives and change people's lives. So I would say, I commend you highly. Uh, it's a great organisation that uh, do a great job because they do get in a lot of places where we just couldn't possibly get into. Gideons have got a reputation and name where they can get in and they can get God's Word into places. And it's amazing how people in desperate times, in a motel or wherever it may be, uh, just reach down beside the bed, pull open the drawer and there's a Bible and God's Word is like a light that penetrates the darkness of their hearts and uh, just uh, uh, all of a sudden reveals who Christ is and the Gospel message. So good things. Uh, Just another short thought as well. Um, We've all witnessed this week the uh, elections over in um, USA. And uh, I mean, I've been amazed at some of the media coverage that's come beyond that and sort of after it. I mean, again, we just got to remember here that, uh, hey, God appoints these governments, regardless of what you might read in the paper or see on TV. A lot of media stuff is biased. They're not making a political statement there, but just a lot of media tells you what they want to tell you. And you can get different media stations saying different things. At the end of the day, God is the one who actually ordains the governments to go in place. And we pray for them. So whether in the States, whether it's Republic or Democrats, we p- pray. Whether in Australia, whether it's uh, Labor or Liberal or Liberal National Party, we pray. We pray that God will actually help them to govern well. So that's the same thing we should do. Uh, if you're worried about what's happening in the USA, because it's the largest or most powerful country in the world, uh, God is over and above the USA. And uh, God is in control. And we bring that before God and um, pray that His will will be done through those governments, regardless of what we think they may or may not do. Today we are in um, our sermon series again on um, commitment and discipleship. It's a great series. It's uh, one where we um, see what it is to be a disciple, growing and committed to Christ. And today we're going to talk from, uh, from Matthew. Matthew is uh, Matthew's Gospel. It's funny, Sam was just saying before, she's reading out of that. Uh, It's a great gospel. Uh, Today we're going to be reading a little bit out of uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus had gathered a large number of people and he was teaching them. Obviously, Sermon on the Mount tells us perhaps it was on a mountainside somewhere. Uh, Back in those days, there was no PA or sort of amplification. So Jesus actually um, probably found himself 
in places where we could talk to large masses of people. We don't know how many are there, but it does tell us uh, there's quite a few there. So Jesus is giving teaching here to the um, disciples and all these people. And it's uh, today we're going to pick it up from um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. Let's, uh, let's read that together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, thank you. Thank you today for the blessing of this word. We ask and pray now that Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, bring light to this word into our hearts. Even today as we think about prayer, as we think about discipleship, as we think about committed followers of Jesus and the place of prayer in our hearts and in our lives. Today, God, I pray that you would unveil to us the glorious relationship that you have called us into and a personal relationship with you in and through prayer. Help us to see what a great thing that is. Father, today help us to see also as we think about prayer that we get to partner with you in the affairs of this world through the power of prayer. Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would do this work in our hearts and you would do it for the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. So we are, we're doing this uh, series, um, Discipleship Commitment. And uh, what we've wanted to do here is um, just follow exactly what Jesus says later in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he talks about going out into all the world as the Great Commission to go and make disciples, to make disciples, to teach them all of God's ways. Disciples that are totally and fully committed to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Disciples that would grow in Christ, not just be saved and that's it, but actually grow and mature and strengthen as believers, as followers of Christ. And uh, Peter the Apostle captures this for us in 1 Peter 2 2. He says this Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to grow and mature as disciples, as followers, committed, disciplined followers of Jesus, growing up into the salvation that God has called us into. Not only saved us now, but growing us through this transformational process and growing up into the image of Jesus Christ to be restored and redeemed back into his image. Um, I've got a story too, just like Graham had a story before. I met a person in June 1988 who made a dramatic difference in my life. I would drive up to three times a week to Kyabram to visit this person. I would spend lots of time doing all sorts of things with her. You're starting to catch on now, aren't you? <laughs> Anything from playing golf, board games, tennis, just hanging out, doing whatever, whenever, together. And 18 months later, I was blessed to be engaged 
to that person. She became my wife in June 1990. A long time ago, but 26 glorious years. We love to talk. We love to communicate with each other. And that was back in the days before mobile phones, so you couldn't do a text or an instant message. That was back when you had to talk face to face. And we love to talk. We love to just talk about whatever's going on, whatever happened in our lives through that week, what we might be planning to do together in the following days or the following weeks. We loved it because we were vitally interested in each other and there was no drag at all or a difficult task to keep the dialogue up and happening. We loved to talk. And yes, we did talk on the telephone as well, but it certainly wasn't mobile phones back then because they just weren't even there. But seriously, talking and communicating was not a drama. We longed to do that because we loved each other and we still love each other and we still love to talk. So we communicated, we spoke with each other. Well, did you know that God, our Creator, desires that same relationship with us? Communicating, talking relationship. He wants to enter into that same relationship. It is true. That's exactly what God wants. And one of the ways that God does this for us, He does it through prayer. He reveals Himself to us through prayer and it's a chance where we get to talk with God, communicate with God. It's as easy as what I'm doing right now. It's talking, communicating with God through prayer. That's an amazing thing about it. If if we just think about it for a moment and put it back into context, I can talk to God. Think about Donald Trump. Who of you here could actually pick up the telephone and dial the Donald? Probably nobody. But somebody way higher than Donald Trump, who is the president-elect of the United States, I get to have this access with him 24-7. I don't have to go through a whole heap of security minders and whatever else if you might want to try and get yourself to Donald Trump. I can simply speak with God. It's staggering when you begin to think about that. But this access to prayer with God isn't always easy though, is it? It isn't always easy. We struggle. Unlike Laurel and myself, uh, where we could easily have this conversation, it was like a dialogue, With God, it feels like it's a monologue. It's like it's a one-way course of communication. So there's a struggle sometimes we go through prayer and we think about that. So today we want to think about prayer and look at the glorious privilege it is and the struggles that come with it as well. We want to see this incredible relationship that God calls us into through prayer. And we want to look also how incredibly God wants to partner with us through the affairs of this world as he carries out his eternal decrees and his eternal will. And ultimately we want to see in all of that that this prayer, this relationship that God calls us into, is one of the most glorifying things that we can do to make God look supreme and look great. So here in this passage we want to see here a few things that Jesus was teaching. Teaching his disciples here how to pray. Jesus was and is the greatest teacher this world has ever seen and he knows exactly what we need to know and when we need to know it. And particularly here when it comes to helping us to pray. And he starts off here as he teaches his disciples and who who knows how many other hundreds or thousands may have been out there sitting before Jesus. He starts off by helping them to see God as our Father. God as our Father. Verse 9. Pray then like this. So Jesus is saying, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Now that may be a really simple thing for Jesus to say. Just let it roll off his lips. Our Father in heaven. 
But it's not really quite that simple for Jesus to say that if we think about Jesus' day and the context that Jesus lived in and understood the times of Christ. In the Jewish mind of the day, God had the highest of respect that was thought possible. The name of God was to be highly revered and seen as supremely holy. There could be nothing trivial at all attached to the name of God. In fact, if you looked at the way they even um, wrote the name back in history, they would leave certain vows out. It was sort of as a sign of respect or holiness for God's name. So there was this high position they held God's name in. So anything that would come along that seemed to demean God's name would be very disrespectful, perhaps to the point where they might have been considered to be blasphemy as a, uh, um, a taking down of God's name. So for someone to address God in the simple term like Father would be unheard of. It would be unheard of. That would somehow be seeming to disrespect God and lowering God down from this position of, of supremeness and reverence and holiness. But Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching. He's actually teaching something about God here and he's doing it through prayer. Yes, God is high and holy in his personhood and yes, God is worthy of all respect and worship and yes, God deserves all reverence and total obedience. No question about that at all. But Jesus is teaching that God is a father. God is a father, a perfect father. A father who loves us perfectly, a father who cares for us perfectly, a father who nurtures us perfectly, a father who watches over us and knows what's best for us perfectly. God is a father who is vitally interested in our lives in every detail, without exception, perfectly. This is the father that Jesus is talking about. This is a personal God that Jesus is also talking about. Father. An endearing term. Paul the Apostle grasped this same thing as he wrote to the Romans perhaps about um, 20 or 30 years later. Again, he says this in Romans 8, 15, 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul had this same understanding, this same revelation from God. Paul grew up in the same religious environment that Jesus was in. He knew exactly how the Jewish religion went. But he got this revelation that God is a father, a very endearing term, Abba, Father, children of God, a loving, personal God who is our father. We think about a father. When it comes to being a father, we have to know that God doesn't see us as just another number in the crowd. Crowd of 50 or so here today. God doesn't see us as a faceless individual amongst the crowd of life. I know with my four children, I don't see them as that. If we go somewhere like the football or some other large crowd things, I can pick my kids out straight away. They're probably usually doing the stupidest thing. No, not quite. But you can. They're not faceless. You know them. The father knows their children. The father is connected to their children. And this is exactly what Jesus is communicating here. This is a father who knows his children, personally relates and cares for and nurtures for his children. This is the father that a committed disciple is praying to, entering into this relationship of prayer with a loving, personal, heavenly father. 
The next aspect that Jesus talks about here in this prayer that he teaches these people on the, on the Sermon on the Mount is to see the holiness of God in prayer as well. It's the next phrase that Jesus uses straight after our Father in heaven. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Let's ask ourselves, why is Jesus drawing our attention to holiness? This idea of hallowed is, is a sense of holiness. Holy is your name. Adam and Eve originally walked in holiness before God, uh, before they sinned. Before they sinned, they were in absolute moral and spiritual purity. Absolute holiness as they walked before God. But when sin came into their lives, they were no longer holy. They were now impure. That had been um, polluted or corrupted now by sin. They were no longer morally pure or spiritually pure. But this is the great news about the gospel. It comes in and makes us pure again. Makes us spiritually pure and morally pure by the righteousness, by the right standing of God placed upon our lives. And it declares before us, before a God, before the God, that we are holy. That we are set apart. And the same gospel continues to transform our lives in holiness as well. So then why does Jesus want to draw our focus then to the holiness of God? As he brings here this to our attention, pray like this. Talking to God, hallowed be your name. God uses prayer as a strategic instrument in his hands and in our lives to draw us into holy living. In the redemption of our lives, in the restoration of our lives, back into what Adam and Eve were prior to the fall, morally pure and spiritually pure, God uses prayer as a focus to bring us back to this high calling. It's a blessed life of holiness, of moral purity and spiritual purity. Yes, it is a transformational process. We're not there yet. We all are a work in progress. But here is God using this idea of prayer to bring our minds back and to help us think and focus upon this is the transformational process that is taking place in our lives. And God is using the vehicle called prayer. As we communicate with him, as we pray and focus our minds about the holiness of God, he's empowering us, giving us the grace to become holy. In a parallel passage here in Luke, we read this, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, referring to God as our father, or in our earthly sense as well, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will this perfect, absolute perfect, heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is given to us to live a life of holiness, to bring us back into a right relationship with God and to keep this transformational process working in and through us. And that whole passage there is referring to prayer. Ask, knock. It's like petitioning, asking for, praying for, prayer. Jesus here is exactly what he's talking about, is the Holy Spirit is given to us for holy living. God generously, graciously gives liberally strength and power to live holy lives. And this comes through prayer as Jesus teaches here and demonstrates for us. And we all struggle to live holy lives before God and in this world. 
It's a never-ending battle for us. If you're alive and you're breathing and you're a follower of Jesus, you're in a battle. But the truly happy life, the blessed life that God calls us into of moral and spiritual purity before God comes from committing ourselves to prayer. And through that prayer, it focuses us upon a holy God who calls us back into a holy living style of life. Now, don't get this holiness stuff wrong. I mean, sometimes we get this idea that someone holy is in a monastery or somewhere up in the hills and they're just walking around all day in sort of sackcloth and ashes and they eat dry bread and drink stale water, if there's such a thing as stale water. Sometimes we get this picture of that's what holiness is. That's not what it is. Holiness is going to work and doing your thing at work. Holiness is going to the sporting club and playing sport. Holiness is doing whatever you're doing in a way that honours and glorifies Christ through moral purity and spiritual purity. We are all called to live a holy life exactly in whatever we're called to and prayer brings that focus back for us. Another aspect here that Jesus teaches again, which helps us to think about prayer and see the way that God wants to relate to us in prayer and see how we can partner with him in prayer as well. And this aspect is that we can pray confidently, confidently to a sovereign God. Verse 10, as Jesus follows us on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you might be asking right there, what sort of has that got to do with prayer here and the sovereignty of God? Well, again, Jesus is helping us to focus, focus on a central aspect of God that gives us great confidence when we pray. It realigns our mind and gets us thinking straight here. And this confidence that um, Jesus is wanting to build into our lives here is to know that we are praying to a sovereign God. God is a wonderful, glorious, sovereign king. He holds all power and authority in this world. There's none that can stop the hand of God in doing what he does. God is the one who's appointed Donald Trump to be the president of the USA. Regardless of what we might think of his policies, all the things he's done in the past, or what he might be saying now, God holds sovereign power there. Jesus again proclaimed his own sovereignty as God as well. In John 10, he says this, No one takes it from me, he's talking about his life here, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It's my choice. It's my will. I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Jesus here referring to his own death, saying I have full sovereign powers over what I do. He willingly submitted to the will of the father and he laid down his life. So even the biggest deal of our lives, which is death, we can see that even Jesus here is sovereign in that aspect. He lays it down and he can take it up again in his own power. So what does that mean for us in prayer as we think about this, praying to this sovereign God who holds all power, all authority in this world, in this universe? What Jesus is giving us here is a picture of absolute confidence when we pray. Absolute complete assurance that when we pray according to God's will, there's not one thing on this earth that can stop God's arm from releasing whatever he wants to release. Or not one thing in this world that can stop God performing his will according to his choice. The devil does not and cannot stop God carrying out his will. Will not happen, cannot happen. Nothing in our family or workplace or anything else in this world that we might come against 
can stop God from performing his will. We can think of all sorts of challenges and all sorts of dramas that we face probably weekly basis, could be a daily basis for some people, and we think these challenges are insurmountable at the times. This is way too much for me. I can't handle this. Who could possibly work through this? God and his sovereign powers is not inhibited by anything. Nothing holds him back. He is fully sovereign. And with that, we have absolute total confidence that we pray to a God who's all-powerful. We pray to a God who will carry out his will according to his purposes, and we, in that we have total assurance. Will God be able to do it? I'm not sure. Will I pray? Will I not pray? God can. God can. We pray according to his will with that great confidence in mind. So there's three very powerful aspects that Jesus calls us to here in prayer. God is our Heavenly Father, our personal, loving, Heavenly Father who's vitally interested in our lives. God leads us into and equips us for holy living through prayer. God does that through prayer. And as we've just looked at them, God is our sovereign Father who holds all power and calls us to pray to Him to give us absolute, total assurance and confidence in that as well. Let me ask this question about prayer because we have lots of questions about prayer at times. Because we just saw perhaps even a hint in this uh, chapter, uh, this passage we read before. Why does God want me to pray if he's sovereign and he already knows what I need before I ask him? Why does God want me to pray if he's sovereign and he already knows what I need before I ask him? But he says, pray. Jesus says it there in verse 8. He says, talking, uh, referring to the pagans early on, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Strange question, isn't it? it? Why pray then? Why pray if God already knows what we need? He's saying, now pray. But why? Because you already know. Let's explore this a little bit and let's give a couple of thoughts here that helps us to actually dig a bit deeper in prayer and just to see how vitally and critically important it is for our lives. First one, as we spoke about before, God does delight in relationship. God delights in relationship. God is a communing God. He dwells with us and he wants to be with us. God is in a perfect relationship within the Trinity. There's there's like a communing within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God delights to have that same sort of communal feeling and that same sort of relationship to spill over into humanity. To spill over and to relate with us in a very personal way through prayer. He made us in his image so that he could share his greatness with us in relationship. And prayer is one of the most glorious ways that God communes or dwells with us in this relationship. We could be absolutely, totally broken hearted in a state of affairs in this world. Emotional pain can be at its highest And we can seem crippled by it, where there just seems like there's nowhere to turn and no one's really listening. Yet, a committed disciple who loves Christ and follows him can have this priceless relationship with God that we can enter into through prayer and we can cry out to God in the midst of that pain. And our loving Heavenly Father hears. And what does he do? He speaks peace into our lives. He speaks peace into our minds and gives us the strength to carry these burdens 
that we carry. That's an inglorious experience that we can have in this personal relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who desires for us to pray so we get to experience that. And it doesn't matter what's happening in our lives, it doesn't matter where it is, it's able to be entered into with Christ. On a personal note, on a handful of occasions, I've experienced fear in the middle of the night. It's only happened a few times with me, but I've nearly woken up paralysed with fear to the point where the best I could do was just breathe. Like it would be two or three in the morning. I didn't bother waking up my wife at the time. But I would wake up and I would just all I could do was breathe and I felt like sheer terror or fear had come over me. It's probably the closest thing I might say to ever having some sort of spiritual attack. It's only happened on a handful of occasions. And all I've done is lied there with the, the, the doona sort of pulled up to my face and I've just whispered out, Jesus, Jesus. That's about all I could do just for that moment of time. And incredibly, incredibly, the peace of God just actually came upon me. Whatever that thing was or whatever that fear was, lifted and went. And I can tell you um, personally, that was the incredible experience that I've had in God's peace coming over somebody in the midst of fear or dread. And that's an example here of this personal relationship that God calls us into through prayer. That is a prayer. That is a prayer. If you just say, Jesus, Jesus, and that's all you can get out, that is a great prayer. That is a great prayer. God desires to commune with us and he wants to do it through prayer. God calls us into partnership with him through prayer. So God, why do you want me to pray when you already know everything's going to take place and you know what I want? God wants us to come to him in prayer because he wants to partner with him through prayer. Now, when I think about this, this really does blow me away. It really does sort of do over my mind. God is sovereign. He does all things according to the counsel of his will, and there is none that can hold back his hand from carrying out what he wants to do in this world. Nothing can stop God. Yet he calls me to enter into partnership with him through prayer for the purposes of his will. It's a mystery. It's an absolute mystery. But God ordains, God chooses to carry out the purposes of his will through our prayers as partners with God. Now, we can't sort of rationalise that right through to think, well, how does it all look? Other than we can see from what Scripture calls us to, that we enter into a partnership with God and we pray for things that God has already ordained to take place and somehow God's working with those prayers for his purposes of his will to be carried out in this world. Think on that for a moment. Think on that for a moment. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. God the All-Powerful, totally sufficient in himself, needs nothing at all because he's God and fully complete. He doesn't need anything of me. Not a thing. Yet this same God calls me through prayer to partner with him to see the purposes of his will carried out in this world. Think about Paul and the letters that he wrote to the various churches around the, um, the, the Roman world at the time. What did he often pray for or ask him to? He said, he said, look, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray that I'd have uh, boldness to speak the word. Pray for me that I'd have gospel opportunities to speak the word of the gospel. 
So here's Paul saying, okay, it's God's will for the gospel to go out, but I want you to pray in that way. And somehow God's pulling those two things together. You're praying, it's God's will, and, he, and somehow through that, God's working through those prayers for these opportunities to come to Paul, to speak the gospel and to have the boldness and the courage to actually share the gospel in a loving, truthful way. And that's how it works. He's partnering. God doesn't need Paul to do any of that. God doesn't need any of those churches to pray. God could save everybody in an instant if he chose to, but he hasn't. He's actually called us to partner with him to pray. He calls Paul. He says, Paul, write a letter. Paul doesn't know he's probably doing this at the time. He's, he's just writing a letter, but he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, write a letter and ask people to pray for you. And ask them to pray for boldness and ask them to pray for gospel opportunities. Here's this partnership that God enters into with us through prayer. Now, when I think about that, it staggers me with amazing confidence that I have that I can now pray for with others. That I'm partnering with God for his purposes in this world. Especially when it comes to salvation. Every one of us here can think of somebody in our families that needs to be saved. I have a sister, I have nieces, I have nephews who aren't Christians. They are absolutely separated from Christ right now as I speak. We have a city and a community that we live amongst that are separated from Christ right now here as we speak. We, need a, we have a community that needs to hear the gospel. And staggeringly, God allows me to play a part in this great gospel work through prayer. Somehow, mysteriously, God in his um, sovereign will has determined that through prayers that we will pray, he will work through that to actually see the gospel go out and to melt hard hearts and to bring the gospel truth into their lives. I think about that and I think, what a glorious blessing. What an incredible responsibility that we have. What an incredible power that we can have in prayer as we pray according to God's will. That we are partnering with God. We can have total and full confidence in this to see God's power come into some of the most difficult of situations and do things that will bring honour and glory to his name. Prayer's challenging though, isn't it? Prayer's challenging. Even with all that confidence and even with all those good things we hear about God, it still seems like it's a one-way conversation, doesn't it? It still seems like I'm saying everything, but I don't have anything back. And it's not like my wife, when we used to have our dialogue, I'd say something, she'd say something back. That's easy. But this seems really, really hard. I can hear my voice, but I can't hear anything else. And I stop and I sit down to pray or whatever position I'm in, and my mind wanders all over the place. I'm thinking of all the people I've got to see that day, and before I know it, I've spent the last 10 minutes thinking about those people I've got to catch up with, and my mind has just gone a million miles in the opposite direction to where I started with prayer. Again, prayer is one of these most, it probably is the most faith-filled spiritual exercise you or I can do. It really is faith-filled. I mean, for the, for the onlooker who was looking inside here when Dan was praying before, what's he going to think? Well, you know, Dan's got his eyes closed, he's praying, well, who is he talking to? There's nobody in that room other than just a bunch of people, and they've all got their eyes closed as well. It's a totally faith-filled exercise. We can't see God. We can't hear God audibly. We can't feel God like in a you know, tactile way of sort of grabbing something. It's a faith-filled spiritual exercise. 
And again, as we mentioned last week with Bible reading, Satan hates prayer. He will do anything he can to stop prayer. He'll do anything in our minds to try and create diversions or distraction. I'm not saying every diversion or distraction is, is the fault of, the, of Satan. Our minds get caught up with things happening, but I mean the combination of these things with Satan makes prayer really, really challenging. Satan hates a praying Christian. Why? Because just like a Bible-reading Christian is a dangerous person, a praying Christian is a dangerous person. They have tapped into God's source of power and grace in their lives, and uh, he hates that. Prayer is a discipline just like Bible reading is a discipline. It's something that we must put into place. Perhaps if you've never really applied yourself before, then I would suggest just start really simply. Really simply. Just say five minutes. Now, some of you might think, oh, five minutes, I don't know what I can do there. Just aim for five minutes. <coughs> find a quiet place, find a quiet time of the day where you know you'll be less distractions and just start there. And first, I would say, is think on or dwell on uh, a thankful heart towards God. Thanking God for all that he's done. Set your mind thinking about God in his greatness, in his goodness, and thanking him for that. And then, what would be really helpful, perhaps if you've never really applied yourself before, get a list of 10 things and just say, work on 30 seconds for each thing. And that'll soon fill out your five minutes. Nothing wrong with having a list there and opening your eyes up. and That's fine. That's not unholy or unspiritual at all. Have a list. Just you've forgotten where you are. And even if you find your mind wandering off to what you're going to cook that night or what you're going to, who you're going to see that day, go back to your list. Nothing wrong with that. And you can soon find things to pray for in your list. I find I need in my life the most prayer other than everybody else. I'm saying, God, please help me to love you. God, please help me to serve you. God, please help me to live the life you want me to live. Give me the grace to do that today. Give me the grace to love my wife and love my children. Give me the grace to love this church. Give me the grace to continue to be looking for gospel opportunities. I spend lots of time praying for myself. Pray for your family. Pray for your unsaved. Pray for your work situation. Pray for the church. You'll very quickly find some things you can put on a list. And it's not a problem to do, you know, did I do that list yesterday and the day before and the day before? That's fine. No problems. God's not getting bored. Okay, he's not worried. That, Hang on, Todd, I heard all this yesterday. God loves me. He just loves it when I pray. So you can pray the same list every day and when that prayer is answered, put something else on the list or grow the list. It's all good. Maybe you are committed to prayer and you're finding it hard going at the moment. And I know some of you, probably a good number of you are, and I'm, I'm highly encouraged by that. And it is difficult. There are seasons where it seems to flow easier. And there's seasons where it's just really, really hard. Hold on and remain faithful. Hold on and remain faithful. Know that God's will and timing are a mystery to us. Do, how long do I keep praying for this, Lord? Just keep praying until you see what you think is God's will being worked out there. Hang in there. Can I say there's nothing more inspiring and encouraging to hear of somebody who's faithfully praying. It does my heart good when I hear of people praying and they're faithfully sticking to the task. That's what the church needs to see is people who are just faithfully sticking to the task of praying. Hanging in there and humbly and persistently calling upon God, God work in my life. Help me to reflect your glory more. Father, save my sister. Save my nieces, save my nephews. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. And when somebody hears that somebody's been praying for one year, two years, five years, ten years, 
it's inspiring. It's encouraging to see those who hang in there and go the distance. So a disciple committed to Jesus in prayer will be a growing disciple. That is a disciple who is growing in love and appreciation for a gracious saviour in Jesus Christ. So where does this prayer lead us to then as we think about this prayer? He has committed disciples endeavouring to grow in Christ and we're praying to a loving, sovereign, heavenly Father, a Father who delights in this personal relationship and also partnering with us for his eternal purposes in and through prayer. Where does this lead us to? It truly does make God look great. When people are praying, it really is a supreme way of glorifying God. People giving their life to God in prayer and showing that trust in Him. And can I say this? The more God is glorified or magnified in us, in and through our lives, through our actions, through what we commit ourselves to, the more God is glorified in that, and particularly through prayer, without a shadow of a doubt, I can tell you this, the more you will be, as a committed disciple, supremely content in God. Supremely content in God. The more we are committed to glorifying God, magnifying God, and particularly through prayer, the more you'll be supremely content and satisfied in Him. May God today grant us to see that, to see the wonder of what He's called us into in this relationship of prayer. And may God grant us the ability to hang in there and keep going. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that I can call you my Heavenly Father. Father, thank you that I am not a faceless name in the crowd. Father, today, thank you that you know me better than I know myself. You know my deepest fears. You know my deepest longings. You know the anxieties that run through my heart and through my mind. You know all the challenges in life that I face. You know even now, before I even speak it, what I need or what I'm about to ask for. Father, thank you that you call me to come before you in prayer so that you can personally relate to me. Father, thank you that even through prayer you call me to partner with you in prayer for your will to be carried out in this world. God, that is a glorious thing. To think that you would choose to work with me who's a nobody and that through my prayers you would carry out your eternal purposes. God, today I pray that you would uh, grow faith in the hearts of these ones here, Lord, and I can pray that confidently because you are partnering with my prayers. That, God, you would grow faith in the hearts of those hearing today to enthuse them and to encourage them, Lord, to pray. And to see their spiritual lives grow and mature. To see strength come into their hearts and their lives, Lord. To face the challenges and the trials of this world. To see strength come into their lives. To be those bold witnesses you want us to be. Lord, to see prayers answered where people have been praying for perhaps loved ones or certain situations for many a long month or even years. God, grant us the ability to hang on and be encouraged and to keep hanging on and be persistent. God, we long to see you glorified in our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would do this through prayer. Father, for those who have felt discouraged or guilt-ridden, Lord, because they've stopped praying or haven't prayed for a long time, we pray, God, enable them to stand up again and to rise up again and to commit themselves to a life of prayer. And I pray that through that, God, you would 
allow them to experience that personal relationship that you call them into. Encourage them once more, I ask. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can pray. Thank you that we don't have to go to some certain temple somewhere 10,000 kilometres away. We don't have to go through a whole set of rituals or steps or processes. We don't have to go through a whole set of criteria. We can simply in the middle of the night, in the middle of fear, say, Jesus, Jesus, and you are there. You've never left us. God, help us in prayer. Help us to see this is where a growing disciple becomes more and more content and satisfied in you as we commit ourselves to prayer. And God, we pray that through all of this, make yourself look great. Make yourself glorified so that people will be drawn to you. Father, we do ask that. We do pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.